When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to the Everything Is Black and White podcast live on the Chronicle NUFC Facebook page, YouTube and Twitter and later on the Everything Is Black and White podcast podcast channel. Newcastle United are in to the, the semi-finals of the League Cup. The first semi-final of a major competition since 2004-05. The first League Cup semi-final into, uh, since uh, they last made it into the final of the League Cup and end up getting beat off Manchester City, wasn't it, back in the mid-70s. This is a momentous occasion. There is excitement uh, running through the city, running through the fan base. You can probably hear it in my voice. I'm over the moon. I'm joined by Aaron Stokes, who I know is equally excited at the prospect of Newcastle reaching a major final. Uh, of course, we've got to see who Newcastle get in the draw, but hey, we're buzzing, aren't we? Absolutely. I mean, what a fantastic night for the fans, for the club. For big damn burn, I mean, cup fever as well and truly gripped Newcastle. So yeah, absolutely fantastic. Dan Byrne is quite rightly grabbing the headlines. The goal I've watched so many times since it originally went in, and I could watch it a thousand more times. What a goal it was! Not only does he cut inside and then curl it in at the bottom corner, he gets it through the defender's legs as well. I mean, look. I don't think anyone expected Dan Byrne to maybe be as good as he has been, certainly not at left-back, but he's proven the doubters wrong and he's just living out the dream of every young lad who supports Newcastle United. Let's make no bones about it. Me and you sit here as journalists and we're very privileged to cover the club, Aaron, but um, you know, I know I wanted to be a Newcastle United player when I was younger. I'm sure you did. I'm sure many people watching this did as well. Yeah, absolutely. You, you can't take anything away from, from Dan Byrne. And what a fantastic moment it must have been, not only to get his first goal, but to do it at the Gallagher in such a game. And I mean, proper striker's finish as well. Not only was he the most unlikely scorer on the pitch, for him to do it with his right foot as well, just absolutely topped it off. So yeah, fantastic. And obviously we've all seen the dance moves after on social media. And I mean, who can blame him? I think if I was on Sky Sports after a game like that, I think I would have probably busted some out as well. Have you seen the comments of this live broadcast? We've got quite a few requests to do the Dan Byrne shuffle. Now, Aaron has got a get-out-of-jail-free card here because, unfortunately, while trying to be the professional footballer he longed to be, he injured his knee playing Monday Night Football uh, with myself and a few others. He's been under the knife recently, haven't you, Aaron, to try and solve that that issue. All go- all gone well? Yeah, all's, all's gone well, and, and I'm on the mend, hopefully, in a couple of weeks, but... Yeah, I'm I'm currently on crutches, so I don't think there'll be any um any damn burn dances for me. I might get a, a, t- a telling off from the missus when she walks in the living room. Yeah, so you've got the sick note there. I might, depending on how we feel at the end of this episode, I might do it. You know, if it's good enough for Keith Downey on Sky Sport, it's good enough for me here on the Everything is Black and White podcast. So we'll see how I feel at the end of the episode. Um, I mean, the, the videos going around social media are quite something. Uh <laughs> So I'm doing it last night, and I think everyone for a moment was a little bit gobsmacked looking at the screen, and then just applaud <laughs> it. But it gives you an insight into into the what, what I've already said many times in this podcast. What I consider to be, you know, it's not so much of a hidden asset anymore. I mean, it's out there in the open. It's just that unity within the dressing room to you know to feel comfortable enough to do that. They're on a high, and what I loved just in the moments building up to Dan Byrne doing the shuffle was Eddie Howe, and he had that. He's had that speech, didn't he? And he said, you know, taking the final whistle. And then he said, but also taking Dan Burns scoring in front of the Gallagher. And that is what dreams are made of. You're a young lad growing up on Tyneside, supporting Newcastle. You dream about doing what Alan Shearer did every single week. And I think he probably had a season ticket, didn't he? Um, Mm -hmm. Watching Shearer do just that. So for him to do that and for Eddie Howe to pick up on it as well, I think there's just something special about that. Like Eddie Howe knows that's more than a goal for Dan Burns. Eddie, Eddie Howe knew, didn't he? And there was a great interview with a pair of them on Sky after where, they, where you know, Howe sort of acknowledged really that he knew how much it meant to Dan Byrne. And I think 
one you watch the celebrations when Byrne scored, Miggy, Wilson, Cher, all running over and jumping on him. Willick, you know, there's a great video of Willick bounding over and screaming, you know, just sort of letting out this roar. They all knew how much it meant, not just in terms of the game, the club, the stage of the competition they were at. They knew how much it meant for Dan Byrne. They were probably still in, in shock, as I say, that, that he managed to pull it off. F- fantastic finish. Um, but yeah, look, great to see the scenes after the game. I think if, if we needed any sort of reminder of how good the morale is inside that dressing room, you know, that was the perfect reminder. And very good to see the sky cameras in where I thought, you know, house spoke brilliantly as ever. And, you know, after such a doom and gloom of Saturday, and I love doing this podcast, right? It's it's one of the highlights of my week doing this podcast with you. But I absolutely hated it on Monday because I hate talking about them losing and we've gotten so used to them winning. It was such a setback on Saturday. So for them to bounce back in this manner was absolutely fantastic. So look, huge chance of going to the final now. Obviously, we'll know more this evening when the draw comes out. But yeah, what a feeling and what a platform it's given them, you know, to kick on now in the Premier League and keep this run going, you know, with favourable fixtures in the next couple of weeks. Just to be clear, I have not given him 20 quid to say that he loves coming on this podcast with me. Okay, We're equal in how great this show has been over the last few months. I mean, Newcastle have also played a massive part and being so good, we can be overly positive. But he's right. You know, Monday wasn't a good episode, a good feeling because we were feeling so down and the fans were feeling down. But but we both said our only way to get rid of that feeling is victory. And Newcastle came, you know, steaming out, didn't they, against Leicester City, who we thought would would be a little bit better than they were on Boxing Day. But if anything, they were worse. And I know they've been hit by injury, but they, they were just nowhere near a competitor for Newcastle United. That being said, you felt as the game wore on, you would be forgiven for thinking it's not going to be Newcastle United, United's night because Sean Longstaff had a, had a, could have had a hat-trick before half-time. Danny Ward pulled off a few good saves. There was a few sitters in there. We'll talk more in detail about those chances as the episode goes on. And I think, yeah, I think I think Newcastle United of old, the heads would have started to go down and they would have thought on the pitch, it's just not going to be our night. But there was a moment, a few moments before Dan Byrne got the opener and it was, it was very nearly an own goal. It was a clearance and it looped over and went out for a corner. And it was as if someone just turned up, especially the Gallagher, or just up a dial. I mean, the, the whole night was fantastic from start to finish by the fans. But in that moment, the noise just went up. And I think it was Trippier ran over to the corner and he raised his arms in the end. It went up further. And then the goal came a few minutes later. And just for me, that stuck in my head because it was really important that the fans helped the players believe that the war of attrition was going to pull through and Newcastle were going to get the goal or goals to get them through to the semi-final. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the the fans had such a big role to play before the game, which obviously they did fantastically well. You know, that the the atmosphere, it was a cracking initiative from War Flags. But as you say, as the game went on in the first 45 minutes and Newcastle had wasted a boatload of chances, Leicester were growing in the game. Huge emphasis on the fans to make sure that they didn't get on the players' backs, which they didn't, and that they kept, you know, the atmosphere up, which they did. And I think it would have been so easy, as you say, of Newcastle of old, especially after Saturday's result, when there's already sort of that doubt in, in fans' mind to have, you know, turned on the players or, or you know, sort of made their feelings known. But fair play to both the players and the fans because I thought, you know, for the entire game, they, you know, they really got the players through. And I think once that first goal went in, you know, there was no turning back for Newcastle. But those early stages, yes, Newcastle United were on top. But, you know, what we've been saying on this podcast the last couple of days about them not being clinical enough and how I wanted them to, you know, really start finding their feet again in front of goal. It just didn't happen for them in the first 45 minutes. And that doubt, you know, did start to creep in before Burns' goal. It, it didn't happen, but I think as probably one of the few people who have been overly critical of Sean Longstaff, and I'm, I'm well aware I have been, I'm going to praise him for getting into the positions because I think that's been one of the things that's been lacking from his, from his game is getting in the positions where he's a goal threat. And for him to be going in at half-time, rightly thinking he should have had a hat-wick, I'm going to go, well, do you know what? Fair play. At least you were in those positions to miss those chances. The first one, I mean, that is that's that is an unforgivable miss. You can't really excuse that one. Do you know what I mean? But the other two, there's a decent save and, and, and what have you. But in, in the end, it hasn't. It doesn't matter because Newcastle won. But what we want to see from Sean Longstaff 
going forward in, in the next few games and the rest of the season is him getting in them positions and then making a count. But, you know, he was in those positions in fair play, the lad. That's where I want to see him. Yeah, 100%. You do make a good point. And I think, you know, we're so used to Willock playing that 10 role, but Longstaff in, in not just yesterday, but in the last couple of months has really improved his attacking you know, side of his game. He's, he's got a fantastic relationship now with Miggy down that right-hand side. And, you know, he can fill in that Bruno role when Bruno's not playing. So, you know, we all know what Sean Longstaff's about and he's, he does the dirty stuff. He never shies away from anything. Um, and, you know, maybe finishing's not his 40. I thought one of the chances yesterday in the first half, it was a fantastic save from Ward. You know, you can't really, you can't really excuse the first one where, you know, maybe it came too early in the game for him and he just hadn't found his feet. But... I thought overall it was a good performance from him and, and you know, he, it was good to see that he sort of put those early misses behind him and didn't let it, you know, affect his overall game. Yeah, I mean, let's just run through the first half because, I mean, notes here. 40 seconds in, Sean Longstaff fires wide. I've got sitter and big letters written down here. Sorry, Sean, but, you know. Um, Bruno then fires wide. Callum Wilson has a shot deflected wide. Byrne has a header. Gamaresh fires wide again. Uh, and then Ward saves some long staff. And then straight after the, the, the interval, Ward pushes Joe Linton's effort onto the post. I mean, you read that, and you can, I think it's totally understandable to, to if people had suddenly gone, mm, this isn't going to be our night and night. I mean, because that is a boatload of chances. Yeah, definitely. And, and there was that feeling, especially towards the, the end of the first half, when Leicester actually started, you know, getting, getting their feet and... and really actually putting Newcastle under some pressure. I mean, why on earth Pat and Zach didn't shoot when he had that chance, you know, towards the back end of the first half, I'll never know. And I don't think, you know, Brendan Rodgers was too pleased with it after. But we've seen this earlier in the season when Newcastle, we saw it at Bournemouth at home, we've seen it against Palace where it's just not one of their days and, and they can't find the net. But, you know, praise for them to, for sticking to it. And I thought in that second half, they were much more clinical. I mean, Joe Linton, Joe Linton of old, would have never scored that chance. He would have never got that chance on target. Never mind, you know, with his right foot. Never mind his left. So credit the players. I thought I thought they did well um, in attack, and I think really, really positive to see that even though it wasn't going their way early doors, they still managed to come through it. With all due respect to Chris Wood, I hope he was watching Joe Linton because that's how you finish that sort of chance. It was nearly exactly the same chance that Chris Wood actually put over against Sheffield Wednesday. Yeah, I mean, I hope he was watching Dan Byrne more so, to be fair. I mean, the, the, the reflexes and the and the attack and nous that Dan Byrne showed to get in that position, you know, Chris Wood could only dream of that at the minute, so. Joe Linton with the assist there, wasn't it? And it was because you were watching him. He'd done that uh, run, Dan Byrne, a few times and he just finds that burst of speed. Like, I, I, from a Leicester point of view, you'll be disappointed that Dan Burns managed to burst past you. <laughs> and, and to be fair, the defend defending from Leicester was absolutely shocking. And, yeah, you know, it was no surprise that Newcastle ended up scoring and having all these chances. What, 22 shots on, on goal, nine on target. You know, Leicester were there to be beaten. But sometimes, Aaron, you can have all the shots in the world, none go in. Leicester run up the other end and, and grab a goal. And that was the fear before Newcastle grabbed two because, of course, later in the game, Jamie Vardy comes on and, you know, he has two good chances where you would have expected him to score. Yeah, absolutely. And as I say, that back end of the first half was a little bit nervy for five, ten minutes when he thought, you know, Leicester were actually going to make Newcastle pay against the runner play for not taking some of those early chances that you mentioned. But, you know, credit to both the attack and the defence, I thought, Second half, especially the defence, you know, really tightened up. I mean, that Vardy miss, the more you watch it, is, is an absolute sitter from him. I think that's worse than Sean Longstaff's. But look, Newcastle rolled a, look a, a little bit, but, you know, they came out of it. And, and that's the main thing. And they were good value for the win. I don't think you can say that they didn't deserve it. I think, you know, they deserved a comfortable win. Um, but as I say, we've seen it, especially at St James's, a couple of times this season where Newcastle have just, you know, they've looked really good in attacking phases and the build-up but that sort of finishing's let them down. And I mean, I'm, I'm sure we'll go on to talk about Callum Wilson, but again, you know, looking a little bit out of sorts last night, looking like he hasn't fully shaken off that injury, or sorry, that illness. Um, so he really needed, you know, other players around him to step up, which they did. I just think nobody thought the player to step up was going to be the six foot seven left back, but, you know, take what you can get. I see. I'm just gonna once we finish this podcast, I'm probably gonna go and watch the goal another dozen times because it was just <laughs> such a brilliant goal. Uh Jordy Tune for Life says 
fully deserved win. I made Leicester look very poor. I will get on to Tom's question in a moment about who do we fancy in the semi-finals course. I know that couple of games tonight and then the draw as well. Got John Steele saying the atmosphere last night was the best I've known it up there with the game against Barcelona, uh, Champions League and Arsenal last season. It was a fantastic, fantastic atmosphere. I mean, as we've mentioned there, the flags and the scarves, just brilliant. And I, we use the 12th man cliche quite often and people outside Newcastle might say, well, every club's have got their fans and they're passionate. But honestly, last night, I just felt they just pushed them in the right direction. They helped Newcastle get over the line into the semi-finals. Can I just ask a question? Because obviously, you know, as we've touched on it in the podcast, I was, you know, bed bound and with my ice pack on and my crutches and having severe, you know, form of, of what I was going to miss. So obviously I didn't get to experience the atmosphere. It, it obviously seemed fantastic watching it on TV and listening. But where does that rank for you in the last 12 months? Is that better than the Arsenal night, which is obviously the, the go-to when everyone thinks of fantastic atmospheres in 2022? I think over a consistent time, you know, over yeah, the whole, whole game. match, yeah. that is probably the best it's been for a long, long time. Because, and I'm repeating myself here, but I, I genuinely think without the level of backing they had last night off the fans, given the yeah. result against Sheffield Wednesday, yeah. and given they just seemed not able to beat Danny Ward, there's a good chance the heads would have dropped. But the fans collectively got together. I mean, cheering every tackle, every throw and every corner, you know, the fans played such a massive role in that. Um, and the scenes prior with the, the scarves going, absolutely brilliant. You know, they wanted to replicate what it was like for Alan Gio's testimonial. Well, they did that. Plus, you throw in the flags. And yeah, fair play to every single fan that was there last night. And that's not to say those watching at home didn't play their part as well, because every fan counts. But those inside the ground certainly played their part last night. And, um, you know, the players will be very, very appreciative of all the efforts from the fans inside and outside of the ground. Yeah, definitely. I mean, as I say, you know, got to have missed that one. And, and and I'm glad that you've sort of noted that I played my part from, you know, watching that behind the TV screen. So thank you for that. <laughs> um, we talk about, we talk about Dan Burns goal, fantastic goal. Uh, Joe Linton's goal. Now, he had another fantastic game, in my view, yesterday. I mean, it's hard to say who didn't have a fantastic game. The pass from Miggy was absolutely superb. I mean, a brilliant counter-attacking goal. Leicester give the ball away. Newcastle fly forward. Perfect way to pass by Miguel Amiron. And Joe Linton calmly into the corner. And the celebration's in the corner there where the Gallagher meets the stand, a letter again, some fantastic photographs, not least my mother and father um, looking absolutely wild because they were two, two um, rows from the front. So they, they certainly enjoyed the celebrations there. But what did you make of the goal? I thought and it, it kind of sums up the way Newcastle United play. You give, give the ball away, they're going to punish you, not least because you've given the ball away, but also because they're still so fit with 75 minutes on the clock that they can run twice around the city set of Newcastle and still be uh, up for another length of St James's Park. Yeah, I mean, as you said earlier, the, the Leicester defending was shocking, but taken off and away from, from you know, Newcastle's playing that goal, perfectly weighted pass from Miggy, who, you know, 12 months ago probably would have absolutely shanked that out. But as, as, I, as I said earlier, Joel Linton just, I, we've talked a lot about his transformation, his confidence, but the last couple of games, I think he's really sort of finding an, a, a, another level completely. I think he was probably the one saving grace of that of that Chef Wed defeat. I thought he was probably the best player on the pitch at Hillsborough Saturday. And again, last night, whether it's going forward and attacking in those phases or, or helping out Burn in the defence, he's just absolutely fantastic. The partnership that him and Willock have, have established on that left-hand side is absolutely fantastic. And it's why I said on, on Monday or Tuesday when we, when we filmed the... Um, the post-match Leicester game that I wouldn't be making any changes to his position, and I know you know further down the line there'll be questions as to whether Longstaff drops out and Joe Linton drops deeper. But for now, I think he keeps Max out the team because he's playing so well in in that left-hand side. And I think, look, I don't want to get ahead of myself, but that goal last night was you know what you expected from him when he paid forty million and he came as a striker. If he can start actually, you know, 
adding the goals and assists that we've really wanted from them for 12 months or 18 months, then we're absolutely laughing. So he's absolutely fantastic. I, I, I love him a bit. We've obviously waxed lyrical about on this podcast a lot and, and how fantastic he is. He's the absolute heartbeat of this team. Um, and I know he won player of the season last year. And I think if he keeps this up, he'll slowly go under the radar for winning it again this year. He's been, he's been absolutely phenomenal. Now, listeners to this podcast know I'm very proudly the chairman, founder of the Miguel Amiron Fan Club. But I was just wondering, Aaron, you look across, not just starting 11, but across the squad, and you know you could have a case for several different fan clubs. And I'm sure there are people out there who would gladly be the chairman of the Joe Linton Fan Club or the Dan Byrne Fan Club, the Cal Muscle Fan Club. And I can't pinpoint a time when there's been such a Newcastle United squad where every nearly every player has got you know sections of the fan base who say, "Oh, he's my favorite, he's my favorite." But then collectively, they're all pulling in the same direction as well. There's no, there's no stars, so to speak. I mean, that, and that's I think really beneficial for Newcastle United because the star is is the club. There's been there's been so many good teams over the years, but you don't you feel like there's never been a squad like this where a good ninety five percent of them are, are you know close to hero status. I mean, Joel and, and I mean I can't believe that we're over twenty minutes into this podcast and we haven't talked about Willick, who for me was was man of the match for me last night. I thought one of his best games he's had in any castle shirt. I thought defensively and going forward he was brilliant, and I would happily you know start the fan club for him. I think we're finally seeing that £25 million player that they signed a couple of seasons ago. Um, but as you say, you can, you can name half the team. I mean, Byrne is, is rightly getting so much recognition. Botman is fantastic, as we know. Miggy, you know, as everybody's cottoned on to your chain of thinking about Miggy. And and Isaac's coming back. We've got a £63 million player coming back. Could, you know, turn out to be an absolute diamond. And... and you know, everything now is just going so well. So the entire squad deserves credit. Eddie Howe made sure in the summer he didn't want to disrupt the dressing room by bringing in superstars or players with huge wages. And as you say, there isn't like a, there isn't sort of a hierarchy. Everybody's together, whether it's Bruno or Miggy or, you know, what wages you're on or anything. There's such a togetherness and it's fantastic to say, you know, it'll be crucial towards the back end of the season when, you know, if they suffer a blip or, you know, as, as the pressure gets turned on when they're, trying to go to top four. So, yeah, long may it last. And Dale McVeigh says he thought, or she thought, after a few shaky weeks that Willick played really well. He ran at the lesser defence, had every opportunity and really dragged the team up the pitch. And there's a few comments from those watching live um, on the same train of thought. Uh, Les Stapleton here saying, how was a brilliant example of everything? Um, and yeah, you know, he, the scenes at full time, you know, he doesn't really allow himself to show too much emotion does he anyhow but I thought yesterday last night was another example of him just allowing himself to show that you know he does have feelings and he does sometimes let himself get carried away and 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 you know maybe he's got maybe he has had a little thought about walking down Wembley way and I'm sure it only lasted a couple of seconds because we know what Eddie Howe's like and it'll all be about Fulham on Sunday but um we, we again we saw a little bit of a different side to Eddie Howe last night, that that big talk in the dressing room and just just the emotion on the touchline. I mean, I've, I've just pulled up a quote from him here just on that topic and talk about not letting yourself get carried away. This is what he was asked in the post-match press conference about the cup running. He goes, I'm focusing on Fulham solely, immediately. I'm thinking about our next game. The semi-final can wait. We'll obviously look at who we can get, but I think that has to take a back seat. And that just sums him up. I mean, that is just Eddie Howe to a, to a T. And I think... It was a brilliant moment yesterday when he was on the touchline um, and the second goal had just went in from Joel and there was sort of this collective sigh of relief and how let out this huge fist pump, turn to the Melbourne stand, give the sort of fist pump to the fans before sort of calming himself down. And he, he, he has these little glimpses, doesn't he, where he shows this passion and then it's straight back to just being cool as a cucumber. So... I'm sure he's probably allowed himself 30 seconds at most of, of dreaming about a potential final at, at Wembley next month. But, you know, as he said, it'll, it'll all be about Fulham next, uh, sorry, on Sunday. And, and that's probably how it should be. What I loved are the moments that you kind of, when you, especially as you're sitting up high as I was yesterday, you get, 
maybe a bit of a bit of better vantage point than if you were right down at the front of the, the Gallagher or what have you. But after the first goal went in, Callum Wilson took an eternity to get back to where uh, to the halfway line where as Leicester were willing to try to kick off and he turns around and he just points to to his temple and just, you know, let's just focus because you are most vulnerable when you've conceded a goal. And we've seen at least once, I think, this season when Newcastle have conceded straight after. I mean, given Newcastle's brilliant defence, it must have been quite a while ago, but I do seem to remember that happening. Um, I think it's 630 minutes Nick Pope hasn't conceded a goal in, which is fantastic. But it's just those little bits of game management, not only from the touchline, but from the players, from the likes of Trippier and Wilson and Bruno, um, who at one point last night just kicked the ball in the touch. You know, safety first, let's get it out. Of course, you don't always want to do that, you know, but, you know, that was what was right for that moment. And it's those little bit of game management, which will have come from the touchline, which elevates Newcastle to another level. This, this is yeah. what the top teams have got. Yeah, 100%. And, and you know, we saw it last night, but we've seen it many times in the last couple of weeks. We saw it hugely at Chelsea when they were sort of put under pressure the last 15 minutes with that 1-0 lead. We saw it with Arsenal where, you know, there was so much sort of fury afterwards from Arteta and the supporters as to, you know, Newcastle's supposed time-wasting. But Eddie Howe wants them to have this ruthless streak. He wants them to get nasty. If they're going to be mixed up with the big boys, they need to. Um, and I thought, yeah, game management after that Vardy chance last night, which was a bit of a wake-up call, they saw the game out really well. You know, they didn't let sort of the, the occasion get on top of them. Um, and I think it's what you'll see, you know, more of under how, especially as this team sort of grows in stature and grows at the table. I think you will see them, you know, actually getting really, really smart with how they, they see out games, which is, you know, what they've really, really lacked in recent years. We, we never saw it under Bruce at all. Benitez maybe, in a sense, could manage games a bit better. But I think howe has got it absolutely spot on and, and the team are really, really good at, grabbing the lead and actually holding on to it. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. Mm. It was interesting when St. Maxman was getting ready to come on and how arm around the shoulder, he was in his ear, he was pointing and really giving him instructions. A lot of talk about St. Maxman and his future and how he fits into this Newcastle United side. Leicester, for me, looked done in you know, 70 minutes on the clock. They just looked absolutely knackered. Um, and the space was there. I mean, the space was there all game for, for Newcastle, but the space was really there, I felt, for St. Maxman to get the ball and run at the defenders. But he didn't actually get that much time when you look at the the time of the subs. Anything to read into that, do you think, Aaron? Or was that just, you know, Newcastle, the players that won the pitch, were doing so well that, what, what you know, if they're fit enough to, to play to 75, 80 minutes and... Why do you need to change it? I think Maxi's got a strength and, and Maxi's strengths probably don't lie in a game where you try to defend a narrow lead towards the end. And I think that's the one that's the one negative for Maxi with coming off the bench in these games when Newcastle are winning or trying to see out a lead. He really he got I mean he came on the eighty seventh minute against Arsenal. He came on very late last night because there wasn't really a need for him to come on. He'll probably be frustrated personally that that's the that's the way it is, but I just think he doesn't offer enough defensively to, you know, warrant bringing him on when he's trying to see out a game. I think that's why we've seen so many times this season Jacob Murphy gets off the bench before him. Now, I don't think there's much to read into it. I think that's just the way Maxi plays, and I think you know he'll probably admit that. I think what well, is good to see that you know lots of rumours about um, one is future, two you know bust ups with how or whatever it was you know before the. Um, the game last week. Good to see that he seems focused. He's overcome whatever you know ailment kept him out of Saturday's game, which was big, big setback for him because you know before that game against Chef Wed, everyone thought he was an absolute shoe in the start. Right, this is his chance to you know get back in the team. He's missed a big opportunity there because, as I said earlier, I, w- I wouldn't be rushing him back into this team given how well Joe Linton's coped in that left midfield position. So. It's going to be tricky for Maxi. He's got to work very, very hard to get to get back in this team. I think it'll really, really show 
how much desire he's got to play for Newcastle the next couple of months to see how he comes through this period and, and tries to fight his way back. Uh, Tom Dixon says Pope is a great buy. That's why he's a number one goalkeeper. Our friends at Newcastle Fans TV say Nick Pope is now an all-time club record, has the all-time club record for the consecutive clean sheets with seven. And we talk uh, about how good you know the likes of Joe Willick, Joe Lytton did, the whole team really. And Jordy Tune for life uh, says he found it difficult to find a man of the match because he thinks all the lads played very well. And I think that's a fair point. Here are the, the player ratings from our chief sports writer, Lee Ryder. You have um, Pope on eight, Trippier on eight, Cher on eight, Botman on eight, Byrne on nine, Gimresh on nine, Longstaff on eight, Willick on eight, uh, Almiron on nine, Joe Linton, 10, uh, which, I, I mean, uh, again, I totally agree with that, actually. I thought he had another man-of-the-match performance and... What do you make of those of those player ratings? Yeah, I don't think you can really argue with them. I don't think anybody really deserved less than an eight. I think, as you say, Joel and goal and an assist, fantastic both in tight and defence. I think the only the only real issue I've got with that is that Joel Willock isn't isn't higher than an eight. I thought, as I said earlier, he was absolutely spot on last night um, in everything that he did. But look, you you were hard pressed last night to to find a clear man of the match. I know Bruno ended up winning it, but. You could have made arguments for Byrne, uh, Jolin and Willick, even Miggy to, to a degree after his first half. So fantastic, perfect response, perfect collective response after Sheffield Wednesday. And now it's just making sure that keep the score for Fulham on, on Sunday. And it was Wilson with an eight there. Craig says, Jolin last night, phenomenal. Um, the midfield enforcer. And I tweeted this out this morning, actually, but on reflection of the two goal scorers last night, Aaron, I don't think I could have wished for a better two to grab the goals because Joe Linton has been the example of the Eddie Howe effect. Dan Burns not too far behind in terms of he's performed so much better than anyone else thought he would do. I mean, he, he had brilliant years at Brighton, but as I said earlier in the show, I don't think anyone expected him to be the number one left back and, you know, deservedly so. And then he's living out his dream score in front of the Gallagher, as I mentioned before. I genuinely, I mean, I would have taken, I would have taken it any goal. Nick Pope, you know, wayward clearance, getting caught in the wind and ending up in the back of the net, or Callum Wilson knocking in one with his backside. But as it goes, I'm, I, you know, the romantic uh, Newcastle United fan uh, in me is really over the moon that it was Joe Linton and Dan Byrne that, that got the goals. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, one goal made in Blythe, one goal made in Brazil. It's, it's quite poetic, really, when you think about it. So, yeah, look, everything about last night, just it just had that feel, didn't it, of a, of a really memorable night. And I think from the pre-match scenes, from the way the game panned out, the bat, Dan Burns' goal, the performances, and then the, obviously the post-match scenes are on Sky, I think it goes down as one of those games where Fans will remember that for a long, long time. Even if they, you know, end up getting knocked out in the semi-final, you know that game, as Arsenal is so often, you know, looked back on, it'll be really, really thought of as as a memorable night and just absolutely fantastic that it happened to to Burn and Joel and to be the you know the stars of the show. Uh, Darren Bailey says Max will be used when we eventually uh, go a goal down. <laughs> eventually, go a goal down. <laughs> Love it. Uh, I need a creative spark, or if we need to beat the low block and. Uh, Newcastle fans TV say uh, Maxi whipped in four crosses, which is unlike him. And that'll be the instruction from Eddie Howe. Good to see him taking on the instruction. Of course, it is Fulham on Sunday, as you mentioned, and I'll have the preview podcast tomorrow with John Gibson and the view from the opposition later in the week. Um, Jordy Toon for Life says Newcastle will have to watch out on Sunday because Fulham have a very exciting wing back in Antonio Robinson. We'll get up there into the attacks. He, uh, the former Wigan player, I'm sure a lot of you are well aware of him. Tom Dixon says Botman has been outstanding since he's been uh, at this club, and I don't think anyone can argue with that at all. Uh, the defence yesterday, Aaron, were solid again. I mean, that partnership between Fabian Cher and Sven Botman is probably another one of those unexpected pluses from this season. Yeah, massively, and and it was you know quite a surprise to see that Botman actually had quite a quiet game by his standards. You know he's been 
on such a fantastic run of form the last five, six games where he's really made everybody, you know, stand up and take note of what he's about. I thought last night he sort of faded in the background, clearly miffed that he'd lost that unbeaten run um, against Sheffield Wednesday on Saturday. But that partnership is fantastic. We, we, we've spoken a lot about it on the pod and, and Fabian Shares' revival from, you know, being on the scrappy under Bruce to, you know, arguably... You know, being in the conversation now for being one of the best pound for pound signings Newcastle have made in a long time. I mean, to get him for only three million and hopefully get a couple more years out of him, I think it's it just shows, you know, a fantastic journey he's been on. Um and look, this defensive run just keeps going on. Nick Pope looks absolutely unbeatable. Um and I know somebody in the in the comments earlier in the show asked about Dubravka, who, you know, obviously will be staying at the club now beyond the end of the the end of the month, I think. It'd be very, very hard pressed for opportunities, given how well Nick Pope's been playing. Yeah, I mean Nick Pope's the number one, isn't he? And I mean to be, to be fair, Dubravka. I know Newcastle conceded two against Chef Ware and, and went out, but he he pulled off a couple of decent saves. And if he is in the right mindset and he's prepared to to sit on the bench while at the same time during the week really push Nick Pope, then he's a fantastic, you know back up to Nick Pope to have on the bench, isn't he? Yeah, he is. And and look, the reaction to Dubravka coming back has been mixed. A lot of fans, you know, will probably never forgive him and the manner of, of his exit in the summer. But, you know, it, it's something that I wrote about before he even came back, that he, he looks like a player that needs sort of house armour on the, sh- the shoulder to try and get his career back on track. You know, the word out of the club is that, you know, Loris Karius has done absolutely you know, an absolute U-turn compared to when he joined. You know, he obviously joined in such a cloud. He's admitted he only played one game, but, you know, he's he's clearly benefited from Howe's guidance. And I think it'll be the same from Dubravka. He might not play in the second half of the season, but I think after how bad it went at Man United, if any coach is going to try and get the best out of him before the summer, it's probably Eddie Howe, given, you know, the transformations that he's done with Miggy and Joe Linton and countless other players. So... You know, Dubravka's got a lot of making up to do in the eyes of some fans. And he, you know, as I say, he probably won't get too much game time to do it. But I think it's the right decision for him to come back. Um, and a decision that he made as well, you've got to remember, you know, he could have stayed at Man United and it clearly wasn't the right environment for him. And he clearly knows that he's made a mistake. So um, good to see that, you know, I thought he did OK against Sheffield. Yes, they conceded two goals, but, you know, it was good to see him back in the Newcastle shirt, I thought. No. Newcastle, obviously, they went out of the FA Cup to Sheffield Wednesday. Lots of people weren't very happy at that. And of course, you don't want to go out of the FA Cup at such an early stage, and you certainly don't want to go out to a League One club. But considering they're in the semi-finals of the League Cup, Aaron, and I'm sure Eddie Howe would say, um, you know, still very disappointed to go out of the FA Cup, but could going out of the FA Cup be a blessing in disguise, given, you know, they're still within a shout for the title, and they are in the semi-final of the League Cup. In hindsight, yes. I think, you know, Saturday perfectly exemplified that the squad isn't deep enough. The squad, you know, isn't strong enough to fight on three fronts at the minute. So, look, in hindsight, now that they're already in the, the final for the Carabao, I think a massive sting's been taken out with that defeat Saturday. And I think you do look back on it and think maybe it's a blessing because once they've got this Carabao Cup journey out the way, um, whether that be in the semis or in the final, they've got an absolute clear run in the Prem to focus on. Make sure they finish in the top four. So, look, if they, if they got knocked out last night, I think we'd be saying that it was an absolute disaster that they got knocked out the FA Cup. But now that we're sat here, you know, with the luxury of being in, in the final four, I think, yeah, it, it... I said the other day you couldn't excuse the defeat and I think Newcastle should be disappointed in the way they went out. But, on the whole, looking at the bigger picture, I don't think it's the end of the world now that they're in the final four of the Carabao Cup. Because hmm. if they'd gone through last night, but also had a replay against Sheffield Wednesday, their yeah. schedule would have been unbelievable. Um, I just want to have a quick word about Ayozi Perez, because I felt very sorry for him. Very yeah. sorry for him when he eventually went off. Well, actually, not that sorry for him. He took an absolute battering from absolutely everyone on that pitch. <laughs> and I'm not saying he was targeted because I don't think he was, but he just seemed to be on the end of some very fair but feisty challenges. And he was getting frustrated. He got very frustrated uh, long staff at one point. He took him out and there was a bit of uh, back and forth. 
um, about, I think he was accusing Longstaff of maybe going down a little bit uh, too easily and then then milking it. He got a booking for that for that tackle and the referee had to call him back and tell him to um, to, to be quiet and explain that actually he was totting up the, the challenges rather than just the challenge um, on Longstaff and then he got subbed off. And I guess he's he's an example for the grass isn't always greener. But then again, you know, he has had good times at Leicester. But uh, I'm sure part of him will be heading back down on that coach to to the East Midlands, thinking, "Goodness me, if I just held out for a little bit longer." Yeah, I think you know everybody talks about the the Rafa Benitez thing of, "Oh, if I just held out a little bit longer until the takeover happened," you know, maybe there's a there's a similar feeling with Perez, who look at the time, I don't think anybody could begrudge him for leaving. He was a fantastic servant for Newcastle, for who was brought in for very little money. He was relatively unknown, and he. And he turned into a very decent Premier League player who looked at the time like he'd outgrown the club. Now, as you say, with hindsight and, and you know, but if you wish he had a crystal ball, he would turn back time. But he looks like he's struggling at Leicester and, it, you know, he's he's in and out of this team. He doesn't look completely settled um, under Bredge and Rogers still. So, yeah, I mean, I don't feel too sorry for him though. So. Yeah, actually, a few people in the comments have told me that um, they don't feel sorry for him. Either. Um, who do you want in the next round then? You know, we're recording this on Wednesday afternoon. Nottingham Forest play Wolves this evening and Southampton face Manchester City and then my United already in the hat with Newcastle. What is the ideal result for you tonight? Um, the ideal result tonight is Southampton beating Manchester City. Um what is the realistic result? <laughs> the realistic result is City get through against Southampton and then Hopefully, it's Manchester City against Manchester United in the semi. And then you're looking at Wolves or Forest. I think you'd probably want Forest out of the two, given that you know Wolves have just got Lopetegui in and are probably in a better position. But if I'm completely honest, I don't think it's in the world if I draw Manchester United tonight. We saw what they did at the Old Trafford. They matched them. Yes, OK, they were probably a bit fortunate to come away, given you know United missed some chances near the end. But... I think as long as they avoid Manchester City, you've got to be happy. But of course, Forrester or Wolves is the one you want. Yeah, Tom says he he'd like the the Manchester derby, and then either Wolves, Forest versus Newcastle. I, I mentioned there the last time Newcastle made it into a semi final of a major competition. It was the semi final of the FA Cup when they were hammered four one off Manchester United. I think Newcastle finished twelfth that season, maybe it was under under Graham Souness, and. You think now, if you compare the two clubs, you know, everything's so different now. I think going into that game against Manchester United, you always felt Manchester United were going to win that game regardless. But it's interesting, as you see, Newcastle could draw them tonight out of the hat. And I don't think anyone would, would be rocking up to that first leg, whether it be Old Trafford or St James' Park, fearing a, a battering off, off Manchester United. If anything, I think, you know, Newcastle, Given the form, and I know my United are in great form as well, but I think teams, you know, will look upon Newcastle as one of those they don't want to face because you know they've got something really good here at St James's Park. You know, unity, everyone pulling in the same direction, and talented players. I don't, I don't think it matters who Newcastle you get. Yes, you want to avoid the big sides, but whoever they get, it'll all be about what Newcastle can do to beat the opposition, rather than oh, whether it's uh, it's City or it's my United. I'm a little bit scared of them. Yeah, absolutely. I think anybody watching that game last night will be absolutely dreading coming up to St James's Park for a, a cup semi-final to face Newcastle. So, look, they've even taken points off Manchester City this season. It wouldn't be ideal, but you would have faith that Howe was at least going to give it a go and they would at least give it a, a good shot over the two legs. As I said, Manchester United are in fantastic form, but they're beatable. Um, you know, sides already have shown at this season that you can you can break down that offence. And I think you would have to be extremely confident in this vein of form if Forest or Wolves get pulled out of that hat next to Newcastle. So, look, we, I mean, we'd all know by half ten at night, but hopefully, as long as they avoid City, I think I think it's a it's an all right result. You look at last night's performance and the run they've been on. If you're a potential January arrival. Are you looking at this squad and going, I really want to be part of this? Are you looking at it and thinking, we're there. I'm a, I'm a first team player at whatever club I'm currently at. If I come into this Newcastle United squad, given how well everyone's playing, 
I might be sitting on the bench for a few weeks, and that's not exactly what I what I want. But then I guess well, if that is your train of thought, then you're probably not the player you cast. Well, I was just about to say if, if you're even gonna having, if you're even having those doubts, then Eddie Howe isn't going to be signing you. So I think even before last night, just I've said it a lot of times, war flags have turned this club and you know they're a real advert for this club and when they get going and you know they have the displays on players must watch that and think I would love to be a part of that um so yeah I mean look just for one example and this isn't me saying it's going to happen but if you're James Madison in a struggling Leicester team that are going nowhere it's run his course and you've got Trippier Wilson and Pope who you know very very well in your ear at the World Cup and you're watching last night at Newcastle dismantling your team you must be thinking, I want a piece of that. And look, I'm not saying that's going to happen this window. He, he's probably going to prove too expensive. But I think a lot of players will be taking note. And if an offer comes in from Newcastle, they'll be a lot more receptive to it than they were 12 months ago. Do you understand that Newcastle are any further forward in the transfer window? Or, or do you think we'll be expecting movement, if any, in the last the last week or so? I think they'll leave it late. I think, you know, the word that, that we're getting from the club is that nothing's imminent. And... You know, they're taking their time. I thought it was very, very um, telling from Dan Ashworth last night when he was speaking on Sky Sports about um, how, you know, it isn't sustainable for them to keep buying first-team players and, you know, maybe they're going to cast their eye to their future and, you know, we might see more signings of the, you know, Grand Qual ilk than, you know, first-team players like Bruno or Botman. But there's, of course, a little bit of money there if they want to spend it. I don't think there'll be any marquee signings by any means, but I think... How knows that they probably need one or two more just to plug a few gaps in midfield and maybe at the back. So, um, but I do think it'll be it'll be later in the window, and I think they'll also try and um, do a lot of business with the, with the pre-contract deals and try and you know ten players that are out of contract in the summer and sign an agreement. So, obviously the likes of you, Tillman, who I know is is getting mentioned a lot in the comments. That's maybe one for um, for that type of deal. But yeah, I think it'll be late in the window um, in terms of. Any incomings? Roger says he didn't think Tielemans did a lot uh, apart from the, the shot he had, which was a lovely technique actually, and just went over the bar. But again, I look at it uh, the way Leicester played; they never looked up for the game. And, I, and, I, and, I, and even if you're Leicester's best player on the pitch, which Tielemans was last night in terms of talent and ability, not necessarily the way he performed. And you're also thinking about your future. I don't think it's any secret that is. His more than more than an eye is probably on the exit door. Um, then maybe it is a little bit hard to to get yourself up for the game, especially when your your team's so depleted. Especially when you hit a ground and you look around, and you think, "Goodness me, this is the kind of team that maybe I do want to be joining." And you know, I, I'm sure he put all, put all his effort into it. Um, did he did he um, have such a bad game that you'd be put off signing Tielemans if you were in charge? I don't think I'd ever be put off a player by one game. And I think you've hit the nail absolutely perfectly on the head there with, you know, Leicester very, very depleted, not having much of the ball, you know, wasting the few chances that they had up against a very, very good Newcastle team who had that 12th man behind them. I think even, as you say, the best players would have struggled in that team last night. So Tielman's he's absolutely fantastic player. Um He's been a fantastic servant to Leicester. It does probably feel like the time to move on. I know he's been linked with an exit, you know, probably the last four or five windows. It would be a huge coup if Newcastle are the team that persuaded him to, to jump ship. And, and and we know that he is a target. So maybe one for the future. I just want to ask you um, once uh, before we finish off um, about Steve Bruce. Now, he's been on a po- pong, uh, podcast with uh, Warnock. And he made some remarks uh, about Eddie Howe, uh, pretty much suggesting that he was the one that su- suggested him to the Newcastle United board. Uh, he said, uh, I turned to them and said, well, I think my time might be up here because the only negative thing here is myself. And would you believe it? They did ask me for my opinion on who should take over from me. And I did put forward Eddie to them. I told them, I thought he was a very, very good young manager and I'm pleased to say that he got the job and I'm delighted that they're doing so well. Intriguing. Yeah, I mean, who would have thought that he would have recommended that fella that got Bournemouth relegated eh, as he so kindly called how a few months before he got the job. So, yeah, look, um, not sure how much truth there is in that. I think the 
the owners probably. Well, actually, you know what it is, funny enough. Maybe he did suggest Eddie Howe, and that was why they tried to get Unai Emery first, because they thought, let's steer clear of uh, of Bruce's suggestions. But yeah, I, I did hear that podcast, but a lot of hot air, I thought. Yeah, yeah, most certainly. Um, yeah, so all eyes just tonight on the draw. We'll be running a live blog on chroniclive.co.uk so you can keep up to date with it. We also have the uh, transfer dedicated live blog as well, running daily where we're bringing you all the rumours and gossip as well as the, uh, the, the hard stories as well. I did ask for people to give me their one-word verdict on last night. Uh, Aaron kindly just wrote live, which is definitely a suggestion that even with the crutches, you want to do the Dan Byrne shuffle. And we had Leo Wilson writing the word destiny. And then we had Terence writing big and then in brackets, big Dan Byrne, big Joe score, big moment for the club. Yeah, sums it up, doesn't it? Yeah, I I like that. I like that destiny one. I think that's a, yeah, that's, very, very apt. It did feel like one of those nights where it was just written in the stars for Newcastle. So, yeah, I think that's my favourite one, other than Blythe, obviously. Other than Blythe. We've got uh, Geordie Toon Life here uh, saying it was tremendous, and I would 100% agree with that. Well, this has been the Everything is Black and White podcast. Thank you very much for tuning in. Uh, please remember to like and follow the podcast through your podcast provider. Leave us a rating and review if you get the chance as well and pass the pod amongst your Newcastle United supporting friends and family. If you're watching on YouTube, hit that subscribe button. If you're watching on Facebook or Twitter, give us a retweet or share. We do appreciate it. Me and Aaron will be back next week. Enjoy the rest of your week and hopefully Newcastle United get a favourable draw uh, in the semi-final of the League Cup. Mm-hmm.